Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, we're bringing our Denis Villeneuve blend of the month to a wrap today. It's been a good month so far. I'm looking forward to this discussion. How do you, how do you feel briefly uh, before we, we share some fuller thoughts later? It took me... I, I did the bad thing where, like, even while watching Dune, I was in my mind thinking, how do I feel about this? <laughs> but I, I've... It, it took me, like, a couple... Well, it took me, like, a day to fully formulate my thoughts. And, and I, I feel ready. Okay. Like, I feel ready to talk about it. I'm glad you're ready, Christian. Yeah. And once again, as we have been for the previous two episodes of our Denis Villeneuve Blend of the Month, we are joined by an esteemed guest. At this point, we might as well just make him a full-blown third co-host to the Cinema Drip podcast. You do We've not have that power. So much. You do not have that power, Scott. Let's well, get that. Let's 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 make sure you know. Uh, we'll, we'll plead our case with a Bene Gesserit. But before we do that, we welcome on our good friend, Paul Yoder. Paul, thanks for joining in once again. Thank you. I follow. I did follow. I, I, you know, as my pitch for a third co-host, I did follow the rules of not even making a single peep before my my name was said. So I, I want that added to my. I want that added to my resume. It's true. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Um, but no, I, I I think I think the I think the three man team thing is uh, it creates a kind of a love triangle situation where it just needs to be you two. Just. You know, <laughs> Which oh, is so boy. evident. Uh, um, but then yes. you, but then you could, you could have this dual role, you know, where the love triangle could get interesting. You could also be mediator, you know, as Christian mm. and I are known to argue on this podcast. You could come mm. in handy. I could also use you occasionally just to team up on Christian. Uh, I can handle both. I'm going to be on your side. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. All right. Christian normally overwhelms me enough as it is. But Paul, I want you to... need Emily on your team. <laughs> true. Where is Emily Baker when you need her? She's another good friend of the show. Check out our our. Previous appearance with Paul are Halloween streaming recommendations, which Emily was on. But Paul, I'm glad to have you here for a couple reasons. But number one, you are a writer, one who writes science fiction and fantasy novels, and one who is very familiar with the the Duneverse, which of course we don't need to, to dilly dally any longer. This is our Dune episode. We're all very excited to be here. So, Paul, I do want to turn it over to you first, and then I'll ask Christian the same question after, but just what is your connection to Dune, to the work of Frank Herbert, and uh, if any, the continuing legacy of the franchise? Right, so yeah, um, I, you know, like most science fiction authors, uh, so, you know, this is a... This is the the movie is an adaptation of the first half of a novel that was the first uh, Nebula Award winner, which is like the big like that's that is the sci-fi award, um, and so like in in novels, um, and so I, I am familiar with Nebula yeah. Award. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Are you familiar with novels? Uh, that's yeah. um, novels. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it's, does it predate the Hugo, or is the Hugo? Mm. Uh, you know, I'm actually not super familiar, but uh, I will have to look that up. But okay. uh, it was the it was the '60s, so it was there. Um, but uh, yeah, we did. Um, you know, this was this was something that was on my radar very early. Um, I think I first came to this in uh, in high school. Um, I, I have a distinct memory of during choir when we were singing. Uh, my my teacher could not see the lower half of my body. So I would have Dune open to me, and I would read while I was, like, mouthing, you know, along with the words. There was a, uh, yeah, so I don't know if that makes me a great student or a bad student. I don't know. 
in the long term, it probably makes you a, a great student. You, you're a still, student of the arts. Yes, still mm. a writer to this day. Yeah. To the best of my yeah. knowledge, you're not in any choirs. Yes. So time was <laughs> um, perhaps. Yeah, and so uh, yeah. Long story short, um, I've read this. In, I I I have lost track. It may be three or four times. I'm not sure at this point. Um, but, uh, obviously, you know, uh, I've also consumed several adaptations of the work. Uh, there's comics, there is, uh, several, um, mini-series and, uh, the David Lynch film. Uh, there's also, uh, Jodorowsky's, uh, Dune. I don't yes. know if you guys are familiar with there's this. There's a documentary, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a documentary about, uh, an insane, uh, European artist who was, uh, given the reins to make this movie and then promptly had the reins taken away for probably good reason. I've heard um, the documentary is really fascinating. It and is. it's something on my radar now that I am stepping into Dune because this yes. is my first encounter with Dune. I, I've been aware of it for a long time and apologies to one of my uncles who was sort of one of my... He was like a little mentor for me. He turned me on to Lord of the Rings, which I, of course, still haven't read all of the books as a grown-up, but <laughs> I've read a couple of them. And yeah. he talked to me about Dune. Like He would teach me about these things as I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Scott, you gotta read Dune. You gotta mm -hmm. read Dune. And now it's been, since that day, probably 15 years. And mm -hmm. uh, this is my first time reading <laughs> engaging with Dune. Yeah, so yeah. apologies to my uncle, but I'm excited to be here and I can, I can say honestly now, I'm, I'm very intrigued to maybe read the books. Uh, Christian, what is your connection to the Duneverse? None. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 knew, I knew nothing about the book or the movie uh, before I knew that Denis Villeneuve was doing the adaptation. And in preparation, since I've, I've gotten back into the habit of reading consistently, I'm like, sure, let's get this book, 600 and something pages. And, um, and you know, it out. I'm not reading it during choir, but at work, I have the mm -hmm. book in front of me. And then it's great when I'm just alone and it's a slow period. I'm just like reading pages. Right now, I'm reading Pride and Prejudice at work. Mm. Different. It's different than Dune. <laughs> Maybe setting us up for a little Jane Austen <laughs> there. Different but similar. A lot of like politics and like you know uh, messy. There's yeah. a lot of gossip. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> somebody, somebody <laughs> might die. You don't know. So I, I don't. I'm on page yeah. twenty. <laughs> so I, it's good to know the two of your connections here to Dune and Christian. You did tell me you you finished Dune before seeing the movie. Okay, so you, you have more connection than me in that you've been able to read the book, and I'm, I'm curious to get both of your perspectives. Paul is a longtime fan, Christian as a newcomer, and me as a as nothing. Let's say I'm not a newcomer <laughs> fan to the book. Yeah, I've, I, I chose I, my word carefully. Yeah, yeah I'm, I've read it once. I don't believe I will be reading it again. That being said, I know that Denis Villeneuve, if he gets his, he wants it to be a trilogy, not even not just like two parts. He wants it to be Dune, the first book split up into two, and then Prophet of Dune, is a the next book in the series, and he wants that to be his part three. Yeah, so like, yeah, Dune Messiah. Dune. Um, oh, Dune. I'm sorry, Dune yeah, Messiah. Yeah. And so I will read Dune Messiah if part three gets made, which I believe it will be. I'm I'm thinking we if, shall if see. I if, if I'll I'll place my bets there, <laughs> but mm. yeah. But enough looking towards the future. It's about the present, gentlemen. And of course, Dune Part 1 has officially graced our theaters and HBO Max subscriptions. And thankfully, we were all able to see this movie together. And I, I will say, I am... I've been looking forward to this discussion for many reasons. One of those being that after the movie, Christian had to jet, had somewhere else to be. And Paul and I were able to debrief a little bit, but try to hold back some thoughts for this recording. But Christian, I, I know nothing about your thoughts on Dune. And so I'm really excited to hear your reaction, especially knowing that you didn't love the book so much. 
But before we dive in, of course, let's let's tee ourselves up here. So if for some strange reason you've been living under a rock and decided to check this episode uh, anyway, of course, this is our final episode in our Denis Villeneuve Blend of the Month. His latest movie is Dune, part one, famously appearing on the screen after not being marketed that way for much of the buildup. It was written with Eric Roth and John Spates, and... I want to mention quickly, cinematographer here is great Greg Fraser, who I'm sure we will discuss it's very in great detail. Yeah, it's, it's very important <laughs> to talk about who the cinematographer was. We also have an ensemble cast here, just an unending array of, of famous faces. Timothy Chalamet, of course, playing the lead. Paul Atreides, but also Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Stephen McKinley Henderson, much love to him, longtime character actor, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, and more showing up in supporting roles. Okay, here's the thing. I knew Javier Bardem was Stilgar, like, during the movie, or at least, I'm like, that looks like Javier Bardem, but I don't just want to be that guy who thinks everyone is Javier Bardem, you know? <laughs> I uh, often find myself gazing across the street. Is that Javier Bardem? No, it's just some guy. <laughs> it's uh, Benicio Del Toro. It's, you know, it's... I'm not going to lie. I'm like, it's either Javier Bardem or Benicio Del Toro, and I don't want to mess them up. Oh, my gosh. Hey, uh, so what? far... We normally like to show the box office, too, while we're kind of setting up the movie here. But, of course, Dune is recently released in theaters, but it has been playing in some international markets where HBO Max is not yet available, and that was released in September. And it's already, last I checked, box office mojo already pulled in over $190 million internationally, which recoups the budget. It'll be a lot till they break even with marketing costs and all that, but things have started well here in the States. I believe we were part of the $5 million the movie brought in on Thursday and Thursday previews, and of course now it's playing this weekend. So, like I said, I am really excited about this discussion. This is one of the most anticipated movies of the year, a movie that has been much delayed because of COVID, and of course, many, many people were anticipating this. It's been an exciting moment for film fans and Dune fans alike. And so, gentlemen, your your opening question. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I oh I was just jonesing for it. I always forget this on the third episodes because I always get excited. But Christian's right. We do need to make make room for some fun facts about this movie. And I always say it's my favorite segment on the show, and I just about forgot. Christian, you need a better co-host. <laughs> wow. So Christian, you did save us there. I will turn it to you. While we share some quick fun facts about Dune, what did you find? Uh, so. Uh, this was shot there. It's a vast desert landscape that we're working with for the majority of the movie. And this was shot in Jordan. Uh, and apparently temperatures in Jordan during shooting could get as high as 120 degrees. Now with, I'm, I'm not spoiling the movie to say that they are wearing full clothing. Like they're wearing what are in the book. They're called, well, they're also called in the movie. This it's just a kind of rough still suits or they're, they're still suits, right? Yes. Yeah. The, to maintain moisture and they cover your entire body. Now, still suits aren't a real thing. <laughs> so I'm assuming that they're just covered in this black skin tight cloak Heat thing absorbing. In, yeah. in, in 120 degree weather. And I don't know who it was. I want to believe it was, um, I think it was Timothy Chalamet who was like, yeah, so really like knowing that heat exhaustion actually prepared me for the role. Bro, I don't know how that prepared you for the role. Maybe just like the exhaustion on your face, but God bless you, sir. Drink water. Maybe that's why he's so skinny because he just, any any weight he put on immediately sweat out in water weight while he's shooting the movie. Paul, I, I turn to you now. Any fun facts to share? 
Yeah. Um, so, uh, man, there are, this is a, this is a storied book, you know, it was a, it was an immediate hit when it came out and, you know, it's since been like lionized as, you know, one of the greatest, uh, you know, science fiction novels of all time. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess my fun fact would be along the lines of like, this was considered the unfilmable book. Um, like that, that is a reputation it gained, uh, throughout. And it's just like, I don't know, turning it over to David Lynch, I guess the, the, uh, so my fun fact would be that, uh, watch the David Lynch, uh, movie, uh, they milk a cat. Um, there's, there's a, uh, there's a distinct like Lynchian vibe to the, uh, I believe it was in the eighties that they made the last 84. One. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it is a, uh, it's something. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not Dune, but it is, it is worth a just bizarre watch for this, like, uh, he's trying to carve this path down like a big budget, you know, box office pleaser versus cat milking. Uh, so we will, uh, yeah, I, I, whenever I see a cat in film, I do wonder why it's not getting milked. Right. Yeah. And they have nipples. Now yeah. my, my reflections on Dune are changed because I didn't know this. And now I just, I feel only disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the cat has been replaced in this movie by a spider with a butt or something. Uh, like there was... spider with hands. Yeah. Not uh-huh. a fan. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so dark, black, void spider. Yes. Anyway, continue. Uh, that would, yeah, not fun. <laughs> anyway, my fun fact, gentlemen, is very simple. It, it, it surprised me, though, and so I wanted to bring it up. This is the very first time on any of his films that Denis Villeneuve is credited as producer. Mm-hmm. He normally, obviously, directs or will often help with the screenplay, of course, or he's written some of his own, but this is the first time he's credited as a producer. And I think, obviously, knowing the backstory of this movie, he wanted to make Dune for a very long time. He's been a longtime fan of the book. And so his now that he was you know getting some weight to throw around in Hollywood, it, he was able to do that. And so I'm sure that's why he's credited as producer. Not just directing this time, but of course, actually helping this product project get off the ground and get made. So with that, we now do turn our sights onto the planet Arrakis and our review of Dune. So, your opening question, gentlemen. This is a, a much-hyped movie, one that all three of us have been looking forward to. We've already mentioned all that. Paul, you've been looking forward to this for years, and Christian and myself, shorter period of time, but still excited. So, I just want to ask a very simple question and get the spoiler out of the way. Did Dune live up to the hype? Yes or no? I'm almost curious if you could talk about like where you're at with the movie right now, because like there, you know, uh, yeah, maybe we could go from like least uh, involved in like the, you know, I don't know, like the least like buy-in to the most. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I ask the opening question and get to answer it right away. This is incredible. Yeah. So gentlemen, th- my, my opinion is that Dune has absolutely lived up to the hype. I... I'm a sucker for something like this, something a, a massive sci-fi and fantasy project with not just good world building, obviously all movies build worlds, but with, with that creates this massive world that you feel like is miles deep and you've only grazed the surface. 
I, coming away from Dune, not only felt blown away by what we saw on screen, but it made me want to go to the bookstore right after the movie and finally pick up my copy because I realized what I've been missing out on this whole time. I've been telling you for months to he read the book with me. He has been telling me for months. My uncle's been telling me for years. I, I have to say, just from a sheer storytelling perspective, I am completely bought in to anything else that might happen with the Duneverse here. And in terms of this movie in and of itself... With a few minor quibbles, which I'm sure we'll all, we all have and we'll get to share, I was completely blown away. And it's one of my favorite movies of the year thus far. I guess we send it up the food chain now to Christian. You're, you're by and having read the book, at least, better than, right. than me. So I think that I said I said a couple weeks ago that Dune um, is not allowed to not be awesome. And I said last week, well, what did I say last week? It's like, uh, it's cool that, I mean, Denis Villeneuve, before the movie's coming out, is getting so much hype and praise for it. Um, and I, I like leaving that theater. I'm like, um, man, this is just one of the worst theater experiences I've ever had. Mm. And I also was like 30 minutes into the movie. Am I crazy or do I hate this? I'm like, no, I hate this. And then I looked at the entire list of movies that we've reviewed on this podcast. And I like it more than the illusionist and, uh, less than Tom and Jerry. So it currently sits at a uh, second worst movie that I think that we have seen, um, no, that we've reviewed this entire year. I think it's absolutely atrocious um, and uh, cannot believe that I'm seeing it again tonight with other friends who really want to see it with me. But you're going. You're I, going. I, I'm like, I'm sort of unraveling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. we might need to pause this recording. Yeah, listeners, fair. listeners, yeah. hang on with me. <laughs> well, and I, I so I, I, I value, I value your right to say such things. You I'm know, saying still it very kindly. A, I'm no, saying it very kindly. Yeah, that's yes. fine. That's fine. And and I, I, I can, uh, you know, that is the beauty of art is that you know we don't all have to feel the same way about it. Um, that said, like you know, I'm I'm not going to do the thing where I say you're wrong. I'm not going to say that. Uh, I will say uh, that for me, uh, subjectively. Uh, I really cannot think of a better sci-fi movie um, that I've ever seen, um, and there is a you know so so we can we can both hold those opinions, and I think that's a really fascinating you know thing to get into, mm-hmm. um, because I do uh, yeah not to put too fine a point on it, but um, this is only like fifty percent of a story, and mm-hmm. I feel like we are in the middle of watching something spectacular happen. Um, kind of holding our breath to see if they're going to stick the landing. Um, and so that is, that is where I'm at. Um, and so I will say it's, it is the, it is the greatest sci-fi movie I've ever seen. And it's only like half, you know? And so I, that's, that's where I'm at. Um, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I wish we were recording this so people could see just the waves of emotions rolling mm-hmm. over me as I try to process what my co-host has just said. Yeah, uh, Paul, I'm with you in that if there's anything I respect about Christian, which there's a great number of things that I respect about him, but one of them is that he is uh, incredible at being able to form his own opinions and stick to them. Mm-hmm. So, Christian, again, I will fight for your right to hold this opinion. I also am sincerely taken aback at this belief, considering that the two movies you invoked at its quality being similar to were The Illusionist and Tom and Jerry. Uh, And so I'm excited to unpack this more, because I'm with Paul in that not only did this movie blow me away, maybe want to go buy the books and read them all, but also just in terms of the project that is unfolding, I think something spectacular is on the way too. 
I, and I told you that I was writing down my thoughts. I just I didn't just want to come in here and say I hate this movie. I yeah, wanted to like you know quantify what was it that wasn't working for me to be like no Scott I'm giving you all these reasons and I'm not just here saying this movie sucks. You know you whenever we disagree in a movie and I like it and you don't you don't always just say it sucks. You normally have your reasons. Well let's let's break it down. So okay. there was a you know. I, I I have I have trouble believing that you would have uh, a lot of trouble with like the production design, um, with like cinematography, with a number visual of effects. Yeah, I've 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 difficulty believing that those are what you had issue with. But I would love to hear like if if you had to narrow down to a the story. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. If if it's one thing, it's the story. I okay. I know that we're going to talk about this more, and that this is something that you and I disagree about all the time. And obviously, listeners of the show will probably recognize when we diverge. Because obviously, film is a visual medium, and so your like, love of the visuals and how much you, you invest into that aspect of the movie specifically can affect how you feel about a movie. And so movies with bad stories but great visuals have their fans, and vice versa. Uninteresting looking movies can still tell great stories. And typically, I feel like we fall into those two camps where... I don't always care as much about a story if the movie looks amazing. And you, like The Green Knight, for example, we fought about earlier this year because it's still, again, another one of my favorites of the year. And the spellbinding visuals connected to a deeper story for me. But for you, it was a bunch of pretty pictures without any meaning. And so I want to ask you, Christian, obviously the story is your problem here with Dune. And I know that you said you didn't particularly enjoy the book either. Mm -hmm. And so what is it about the story of Dune? And I, I focus on the movie if you can, yes. obviously. But yes, so yes, what, yes. what is it about the story of Dune that you struggled with to the point where you felt like this is a, one of your least favorites of not just the year so far, but of like recent memory? Um, I'm going to throw out a couple terms out there. Kwisatz Haderach, Padisha Emperor, Space Guild, Bene Gesserit, Gom Jabbar, Chris Knife Fremen. I can throw out others. Kaladan, Dune. These are all terms that are like thrown out within the beginning of the film that are not drawn on. And so to be building this lore without going into it honestly made me confused as to what I was seeing. When the Bene Gesserit, they have their own scene there where we see many of them and there's like an interaction that they have with Paul, who is the main character played by Timothy Chalamet. We don't really know what's going on, and I think that's partially, like, raising the question, but we are dealing with an empire here that stretches across, like, all space, and we know nothing about it, just that this group of people is moving to a different planet. Outside of that, we have a year that um, is, is shown there. I don't know if it's the year 10,000 or 101,000. 10,191. 10,191. So, by them putting that there, I'm assuming that we're in our own world. Like, as in, we're in humanity's timeline, just further on down the line. I don't know if this is, like, sci-fi mixed with fantasy, like, alternative history. No, it seems to be just further down the line. And yet, those things that would connect this to the real world are never dwelt upon. And so I thought, okay, um, how can I better explain what it is that I'm... That, that's causing this confusion? Uh, Star Wars. Every Star Wars beginning has the little, like, text that the comes up. The opening crawl. The opening crawl that gives you, you know... Basically, the backstory that you need so that you're fit in there. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, had its entire, like, beautiful images of expositions that you can fall into this place where um, we understand that lore. There were so many scenes of this movie that I thought, I have read the book and I don't know what's going on. I don't know who these people are in terms of acting the way that they are. I don't know what lord it is that he's trying, that Denis Villeneuve is trying to convey. I think that they are just 
pawns in him being able to present a sprawling landscape. Okay. Now, that that is not necessarily a problem for everyone. That's um, true. I think that, you know, it, it especially, you know, I do feel like I knew what was going on. Uh, like, I, I felt uh, I, I, was, I was not once lost during the movie. And I understand, like, that, you know, there's a difference here between just our experiences and, like, how, you know, invested we've become in this thing. Um, and so I, you know, I can't step outside of that and say like, oh, you know, you just didn't, you know. And so, and so I, I, I fully respect that. I think that like you're an extremely intelligent dude who like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say like, oh, you just didn't get it or whatever. I mean, can I give one more example? Yeah, though? go ahead. There are many, um, cuts in this movie to what's called a Chris knife, um, where we cut to it and the camera is like zooming in on this knife and the beauty of this knife. And it's kind of supposed to represent, uh, I don't know, like bravery, difficult times, uh, a variety of things. Now, this Chris knife, and I don't want to speak about the adaptation. I know that we're going to speak on how this well this was adapted, how well this was adapted from the book later. But when looking at that Chris knife, they haven't explained what a Chris knife is. They haven't spoken about um, how it's taken from a sandworm. We just hear the word Chris knife, and then we get shots to it. So clearly, it's important, but it's being used in many different battle scenes with no explanation to it. And so I'm just looking at this push into this knife and I go, this means nothing to me. This means nothing to me because you haven't made this mean anything to me yet. I just know that now we get to look at this pretty knife. Hmm. So there's a, uh, and I feel like we are just uh, squaring off the old saloon and like Scott's like the bartender behind, you know, he's like, I don't want no trouble in my place. <laughs> no, 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 no. What's actually happening is yeah. I'm the bartender who's called you the sheriff in no. <laughs> with this no, no, ruffian besmirching no. No. So, mic. But, but, you know, all that to say, um, I think that, uh, you know, on that note, so let's let's use the Chris Knife as an example. Um our introduction to it is uh, a woman who, like, they're afraid she's going to, like, attack them. Like, you mm -hmm. know, uh, Lady Jessica is, like, signing to her officer with this cool, like, hand symbol or whatever. It's like, oh, hey, be prepared to, like, kill this woman or whatever. Um, and instead, she, like, whips it out and uh, she, she does explain this is a tooth of our god. You know, and, you know, when Lady Jessica, like, says the right thing to, like, activate her religious senses she like cries out in like this kind of relig religious ecstasy. And she says, it's so like, it's such an out, like she says, this is a, it is a wild thing to be here. Like as this is going down. And then, um, as the, as the movie progresses, you get these little hints of like what this thing means to people. I mean, it's, it's a very like cool looking object. We can agree on that. We can agree. It's like a very, like, it looks almost flimsy. Um, in a way, it looks like almost translucent. Um, we also, we get views of, uh, Shai Hulud's, uh, teeth, the sandworm, um, which is a the horror show. Um, it's like, oh my gosh, how did you get this tooth? Um, it looked incredible. Yes, absolutely. It looked absolutely um, incredible. You get, uh, there, there are moments when, so when the Fremen unsheath their knives, and again, this is coming from like past experiences, but the movie hints at it is, uh, before they put their knives back. They they drag it across their wrists, uh, and there's a there's a um, there's an acknowledgement that like this thing doesn't come out unless it draws blood, and and there's a there's a um, as as you are you know, I 
it would be very difficult to like go to Denis and say like, oh, you need to include explanation here. You need to include, you know, these things, which like I understand that 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 would uh, satisfy um, certain requirements. It would also destroy other requirements. So, so let me cut opinion. in as yeah. the as the Dune neophyte, like somebody mm-hmm. who hadn't read the book at all and still followed along for mm-hmm. the most part with the movie. Yeah. And I, I absolutely think you can get lost. And so Christian, again, like I'm not going to sit here and did, like say that what you experienced didn't matter. Yeah. And I think if I maybe say drag my mom to this, and my mom loves movies, mm-hmm. but I don't know if she will follow along with Dune, especially because. She's the kind of person who likes to put things on in the background. And so, like, yeah. if she did that, she would have no idea what's going on. And even if we sat down in the theater together, I think my mom, who's, like, she likes movies, likes sci-fi, still may not have been able to follow along with all the terms, all the lore, <laughs> all the characters. But for me, I was able to tap into what was going on and keep track of things. Because I think what Denis does well, and this is part of the screenplay too, so shouts to Eric Roth and John Spates, but they do a good job of delivering information, delivering exposition, diving into the lore, and also leaving room for mystery. And so that's something that I, I do like when these epics can capture, is wanting me to know, like, I want to know more about what's going on. The Bene Gesserit came up, for exa- like example, as this religious order, all women. We get hints of their objectives and their goals. Lady Jessica, who's Paul's mother, is part of this order. We know not much about them, but I wanted to know so much more, because they are clearly up to something. And we see them put Paul through this test, which is a great scene, in my opinion. As we get to, I love that scene. Yeah, yeah, both visually and giving Chalamet a chance to to act. And that was unbelievable. Yeah, I I could never, if I tried for a thousand years, do what he did with there his face. So all and, that to yeah, say, yeah. like I yeah. I love the mystery of it all because we get so much thrown at us, but it also. It kept me wanting to know more. I want to know more about this conflict between Atreides and Harkonnen. I want to know I, more about the Empire. I want to meet the Emperor. <laughs> I, I, I want to throw something in there that is a, um, a concern of me. And specifically because like it's a mystery-ish thing that that I think is quite terrible that the movie did. And um, it's actually the White Savior Complex. Because the only character who is given a significant amount of screen time here is Timothy Chalamet. When we interact with the people of Dune, they are all black individuals. They are all people with a quote-unquote mystery behind them. They are called Fremen, and they're dealing with, like, magic. And the quote-unquote civilized people are the ones who look down on them and say that, oh, wow, the Bene Gesserit have been, like, put their influences here so that they are ready for us to return. The one scene we finally get of Paul and Lady Jessica interacting with the Fremen at the very end... um, we see all of them. Yes, they're not just all black, but uh, it, it's. it was quite difficult for me to watch that and say, we've only really gotten good shots of Paul, and now he is the savior in this sci-fi epic who is interacting with these people on Arrakis who are given no screen time, really, no explanation, and yet the mystery that maybe, maybe I could take on for the others like i can understand looking at the bene Gesserit as a mystery especially since we're dealing with lady jessica for a good amount of time i i i was i was i I was a little repulsed by it okay so what i what i am so this is this is something i was really excited to talk about is like sort of the thematic uh you know the the thematic gist of the movie uh so there's i i think it's all kind of Denis is this does this brilliant thing with this uh, symbol, this recurring symbol of a bull, 
Um, and this like, so it's, it's said that like, you know, uh, Paul's grandfather died fighting bulls for sport. Um, he was like gored to death somehow. And like, there's all these like, I mean, they, they have like, they have, it's, it's on his gravestone. It's on like their statues. They have the head of the bull that they travel, you know, to Arrakis with. Um, and what you, whenever they're going back to that bull and as like a visual motif, they are explaining to you that like there is there's someone who thinks they're in control of this situation. There's the the bullfighter who thinks they're in control, but they are messing with things they don't even understand. Like they're messing with the kind of danger that is beyond them. And like again, this is coming from having read Dune sequels, the you know, now they're putting out prequels, now they're doing all these other things and like there is a what is what is happening on this like what is happening on this planet is that uh these like very arrogant and like know nothing great houses they come down they don't know the fremen's like uh traditions they don't know how to survive on this planet you know um they are complete fools um and they're so busy playing these little power politics games that it's like it's it's not even to their benefit um Whereas uh, you are, you know, in the in the analysis of the movie, like they are, they're messing, uh, they're messing with the Fremen, and like the Harkonnens, these, you know, the the evil like colonizers or whatever, they think there's like fifty thousand of these guys like total on the planet, when in reality there's millions. Like, and and, and they they believe, you know. They believe they have the right way of doing things when in reality their soldiers just get annihilated by these desert people. And so, yes, I understand. Um, and I, I think I think that uh, we do have to realize that, like, you know, my experience is going to be different than yours. Uh, and I can understand that and I can respect that. Um, at the same time, I think that if we give the movie a little bit of room to breathe and like actually like listen to Denis in interviews where he addresses that very issue um and like kind of explains where he's going um again i don't i don't want to just give people the benefit of the doubt and say oh no there's nothing going on here um because uh it's a very it's a very like tricky road to travel um but if you look back at the uh, David Lynch version of Dune, the Fremen are like not even characters. They're these like you know white people with like slightly curly hair. Um, like there's there's nothing going on there. I didn't get that sense from this movie. I got a sense that like they are they're the real ones. They know what's going on. And even to to speak to that too, which again like I want to be careful about you know being a white person trying to talk mm -hmm. against a white savior narrative, which Dune has been criticized for for a very long time. So this is something I was trying to be conscious of too while watching it. And I think at this point, the the risk is trying to set up Paul as Kwisatz Haderach, this this long coming Messiah. When we find out that's kind of part of the Bene Gesserit's yeah, plan, Madib, like yeah, and and they've planted these seeds in the Fremen to get them wanting for a Messiah too. And so if Paul is going to be this young white rich person who comes in and becomes the Messiah, which in the books not even described as like white, yeah. So so there you go. Uh, that that would certainly that could go wrong, and I think at this point 
I don't I, think Paul... I, uh, ask, yeah, just to wrap up my up. thought, I would say. Yeah, no, like, can we give... We haven't given a plot synopsis of this movie. Mm. Can we give <laughs> a quick plot synopsis of this movie? Sure. And then I, I that's good that you bring it up because then I can wrap up my thought in connection to it. So the, the, the quick plot is that House Atreides, Paul being the essentially like the prince of... Uh, not That's not the term, but he's the son who will be rising up. They are asked to take over the planet Arrakis. And the planet Arrakis is the planet that is the only one in the known universe that produces this spice. And that spice not only has psychoactive habits, uh, not habits, uh, properties, or can you know, help humans with healing and can extend life, but also is the only thing that can allow interstellar space travel to happen. And so in a world where there's a galactic empire, of course, this is going to be an extraordinarily valuable spice. Uh, the Emperor makes a move to remove House Harkonnen from the planet and asks House Atreides to move in. Harkonnen famously brutal and has a very poor relationship with the Fremen. So Atreides, knowing the duty of it all, accepts and they move their people to Arrakis with the goal of not just obviously keeping the mining operation going and becoming wealthy and doing what the Emperor has asked them to do, but also making a connection to the Fremen, trying to kind of treat them better than the Harkonnens did. In an alliance. In an alliance, yeah. yes. Uh, and so, of course, the, the thrust of Dune is that House Harkonnen obviously is not very cool with this and also might actually be getting some help from the Emperor, and they then return to Arrakis, which kind of kicks off the... Events, uh, you know, after the Atreides moves in, kicks off the rest of the movie where Harkonnen then attacks House Atreides. And so Paul is exiled in, in a way with his mother, Lady Jessica, and they, of course, run into the Freeman, or the Fremen, excuse me. And so the reason I don't think that, knowing, knowing all of that, that I don't think we're running into a white savior narrative at this point is because Paul is not saving anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, the Fremen are very much portrayed to be a culture worthy of respect that has been looked down upon, uh, and a culture that knows a lot more than they're given credit for, who has created these all kinds of technologies that allow them to live on the planet and in this inhospitable environment, stay safe from the sandworms. They've created different ways of walking, even. Mm -hmm. And House Harkonnen is portrayed again as these horrible, this horrible colonizing force. And Atreides is sort of portrayed in between. Good people, but still part of this empire, part of this... Flawed system. Flawed system. And so... It's extremely flawed, yes. I, I do think that we could go into... We could risk this, this white savior trope, especially if Paul becomes this messiah, this for, you know, long-spoken-of, long-wished-for messiah. But at this point, we don't know if that's who he is. And the Fremen are portrayed as superior to him. They, they welcome him in, and he is... The, the climactic scene, which we probably should discuss at some point, I think there's there's a lot going on with the trope in that scene. But at this point, I, I don't know if, if we've fully gotten there. And so I, I guess I don't fully understand why you were fully repulsed, Christian. Because they keep they kept saying he's our savior. They kept speaking on that prophecy, and it's not gone into. And so the only relationship I have, because the Fremen are not shown on screen that much, is a bunch of individuals who people are looking at as kind of like a magical entity. And the reason I'm saying magical is because they, we don't know that much about them. And the people in the movie don't know that much about them. And when we're ending that movie there, when we're ending that movie on page between 200 and 400 of this book, then I get that they are a thing that is a mystery and a force whose prophecies tell them that they are looking for a savior and that savior is going to be Paul. Regardless of what else you know about the story, that's all there is. Their only connection really is in relationship to Paul who bests one of them in a fight and therefore has been is like better than them is the sense that you get. And that it, I, th I think that was horrible. Like I honestly mm -hmm. think that was horrible. Now, 
outside of that, if I look at the rest of the movie and the other plot that is going on, um, most of them, I, I think, are kind of half-baked because we are getting this um, House Harkonnen and House Atreides hate each other. We don't know why, though. And we... Okay, I love it. I love it. I, 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 I get that. Mm -hmm. But the amount of time that we can spend with House Harkonnen and their planning is, is not much. The amount of time we can spend with House Atreides and their planning or why they hate the Harkonnens is not much. And the I guess my complaint about Dune is going to sound weird in that it should have been like three hours longer in order to still only be part one so that I get I, I, more character development instead of uh, uh, these dis, disparate scenes that is this basically just one guy moving to another planet and then there's a big explosion and then there's attacks. And yes, I will go alongside everyone and praise the attacks and especially attacks when they have their shields on are incredible. They are absolutely fantastic. But I'm I'm having trouble and I've also kind of gotten to a stage in, in, in my movie criticism where I am done praising a movie for having good visuals. I am so done praising a movie for having good visuals when there is nothing there to gravitate me. I found one review that I thought was really funny, which was, um, you're staring at an orange square for two hours and 40 minutes and feeling nothing. And that's kind of how I felt because it's a bunch of landscape shots in order to encompass the beauty of Arrakis. And I got it. But if you want to do that, make a documentary about Arrakis. I, I, and, and, and not a plot-driven movie, which is, I think, what the attempt was to do here. Okay. So, that, that you know, I, I feel like I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to, like, talk you into, you know, loving, you know, someone who, like, like an arranged marriage or whatever. <laughs> it's like, no, really, like, you know, she's they're great, they cover me yeah, family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and the, the thing is, is however true that is from my perspective, like, that is not going to argue you into that. And that's not the point of this. But I would like to explain, you know, from my diametrically opposed point of view, you know, why this uh, worked, in fact, better than any movie I've seen recently. I mean, you and said it's your favorite science yes. fiction movie ever. Yes. No, no. <laughs> with, without a doubt. I could not think of, I could not think of a better one. Um, and so... Here is my here's my love affair right now is that uh, we have um, we have a movie that is what what you see as like sparse you know and like not getting you into things I see as indicative of a rich like inner life you know um, so for for instance uh, Lady Jessica when she leads uh, Paul you know to his test. She is fully convinced he is going to like die. Um, there, you know, the the woman says like, every every man who's tried this has died, um, and she she understands. You can see just through her emotions that she has felt this pain before. She's gone through this test, and she knows it's it's the worst. And she is willingly like putting her son through it. And we, you know, we may not know exactly why, um, but. If someone is doing something that does not make total sense to us, I would err on the side of, okay, they must have some hidden reason for it. 
um, rather than dismissing it as kind of nonsensical or just that I couldn't follow it. I can um, do that for 10 minutes of the, I can do that for 20 minutes, fair, 30 minutes, 40 minutes to the point where I got an hour. I'm like, my, I, I, I can't keep doing and that's, this. And that's why, that's why, uh, the casting director on this movie deserves an Oscar of their own. <laughs> like they are. So you like some of these characters like are barely in the movie, but you know what they're about because like Duncan Idaho shows up. He's Jason Momoa. Like he's just Jason Momoa. <laughs> he's, he's there to be your bro. And like, he's there to like lay down his life for you and to be the best badass that ever was. And like, we know this, like he gets very, uh, you know, he gets very limited screen time compared to like his importance in the movie, but we just know. Same with, uh, you know, same with uh, Duke Leto Atreides. Uh, you have... Oscar uh, Isaac. Yeah, my goodness. Just uh, as a as a human being and as a presence, um, and in the way that they're emoting, we get this hint that there's so much more going on behind the scenes. And again, to, to your point of view, we don't know exactly what that is. And to my point of view, uh, you know, number one, having read the novels and like read their thoughts basically like the the thoughts of these characters um i know that there's more going on um and i and i think i think to err on the side of uh you know believing that there's something more going on and i'm just i'm just waiting i'm just like you know anyway. speaking of their inner thoughts this is where we might get into a little bit more of the adaptation process but dune is famously a very interior novel you get to learn a lot about these characters and what they're thinking and the original adaptation by david lynch infamously used voiceover to explain have these people <laughs> yes say their thoughts aloud and so i want to know what y'all thought of denise approach to getting these people's inner life on screen because i think in terms of the visuals, that this is where they make a, a distinct choice, not just to be a bunch of landscapes and pretty pictures filled with CG, but to actually create a sense of a visual identity. And one where we understand when somebody is dreaming or thinking versus when we are experiencing the story unfolding. And so, Christian, you mentioned there's shots of this Chris knife, which we come to see later in the movie as Paul thinks of the knife. We see the same shot over and over again, which was him originally seeing the Chris knife that his mother pulled out. And we get these other senses of these dreams, and we haven't even touched on Zendaya's character. <laughs> Her being Chani, this woman from the Fremen. She's there for five minutes. She she has a very important role in the story, and I'm sure she'll be a bigger part to play in part two, mm -hmm. but yeah. she sets up the movie with the prologue at the beginning, and then she appears in Paul's dreams until they, of course, meet at the end of the movie. And we, we do come to see that there is this sense of Paul is getting glimpses of possible futures, which is part of his weird connection to his mother and the Bene Gesserit. So... Just in terms of the adaptation process, Paul, I, I will ask you first, uh, just, in, just to pick mm -hmm. someone, but what were your thoughts on that? Just getting getting that inner life on screen in a, a different way than Lynch's adaptation. And, and did that work for you? Because I'm sensing, for Christian not liking this movie, he may not have liked that. So yeah. I'll ask you, yeah. Paul, let's, let's get your thoughts. My, my, uh, one of the reasons I reacted so positively to this movie is that it treats me with such respect. Uh, it treats me as a person who can uh, be comfortable with subtlety and with not knowing things. It treats me as a, like, it treats me as an, you know, a human being who can meet the art where it is. Um, I do, um, your question was, uh, that's like, how do you feel? Like In terms it, of the yeah. inner life being portrayed yeah. on screen? I think it was, I think it was seamless. 
Uh, I think that uh, the, I think we knew when we were looking into the future, I think we knew, like, I, th I think that we uh, had a, I think we had a pretty intense, uh, you know, I don't know, like, even, even when, you know, people are being, like, mind controlled by the voice, there's these, like, incredible editing options that they open up with like the sound design we have not even gotten to the sound design <laughs> of like the music and the oh my gosh the we'll, bag, we'll be, yeah. bagpipes versus like <laughs> uh mongolian throat chanting yes. you know and and so um but but going back to that like we have these editing choices where the voice is affecting to us and then through the edits we see time actually disappear for the characters uh, who are being controlled. They're like yanked forward in the edit. And we have this sense of like, oh my gosh, something like really, like something really abnormal is happening here. So I think that the movie is like genius with just its ability to use the medium of film to explain things that, you know, a novel could just be like, oh, you know, and then this happened and that, you know, and then this was thought of or whatever. Um, this this uh, cam like this camera is just pointing at people's faces and like begging us to understand them, um, and it's you know it is yanking us through edits, it's uh, bombarding us with sound design and just like asking us to understand. Um, so I, I thought it was bold. I thought it was uh, I thought it was a way of just yeah. Anyway, I will hand it over. Christian, obviously not a book you liked and not a movie you liked, but even just on the adaptation, would you say it's a success in that regard? There is there is one good thing that I really enjoyed that it did, which was cut out a little bit of the mm -hmm. Baron's backstory because the, the Baron is... This is one of the reasons I dislike the book, and maybe this will show up in part two. He... Every time he's brought up, it's brought up how fat he is. We should say Baron Harkonnen here. Baron Harkonnen, yeah. the, so. the, the main antagonist, brought up how fat he is. He's also a gay pedophile. And so th whenever we interact with him, we are gay. It, it, it's not good, at least. I'm not just going to say it doesn't hold up, the right. uh, description. He, he is truly portrayed in, in not, I, I'm going to say, like a repulsive light. And here it's like, by not knowing that much, I could just see him as like an evil force. I do want, I did want more of the conflict. There's like a story within the book that they talk about why the, the war between the houses has lasted so many generations that I wish they'd put in. But they did know how to cut off some of like the things mm -hmm. that aren't holding up that well. That being said, they also like overcut some of the other stories that I think would have made this much more pleasurable. Mm -hmm. For example, there are many associations with the people in Arrakis who aren't Fremen mm -hmm. that occur here, like the high nobility there. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful dinner scene, which I think is, is mm -hmm. um, gives you just like a, a nice entryway into, oh, they're not just out of their league, like this entire culture that they've gone in. I wish he would have cut out Kaladin like you don't need that in order to besides the one scene with the Gom Jabbar and, and, and the Reverend Mother you don't need that so I I don't think it was a spectacular adaptation because I think he overcut out things that would have helped the story along mm. well we I do, just gotta yeah, read this we, book myself yeah <laughs> and we do have to recognize like there's another half coming uh if I, 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 do, I don't see a future in which we don't see the second half of this story, and I don't see a future where we don't get, uh, you know, 
spinoffs and sequels and all these things. Like there's a prequel TV series already yeah, in development. Yeah. If it, WB is uh, bluffing, if they say that they're not like on board all the way, the, like the yeah. president of Warner Brothers said, if you see the end of Dune and you think there's not going to be more, yeah. you should know what the answer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if 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 they if they like. For instance, I was imagining on my way over here, like, imagine if they took, like, Denny off the project, or if they took, like, any one of the main characters and, like, recast them, or stuck their little Warner Brothers mitts in there, it, they'd be gone by tomorrow. Like, they, that, that studio would be a charred ruin of just, I don't know, it'd be raised to the ground. I, I, so, I can see a world in which Denis does not direct every single one of these movies, though. Not every single one, but... Sure. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm sure he'll want to make part two, but I could... Especially because he produced, wrote, and directed this movie, I can't see him staying on a more pro- producing and writing capacity. He perhaps. wants part two, and he w- he wants to at least be involved in part three. Um, yeah. He's directing the pilot of the series, also. Yeah, right. this is his. This is his baby. This is his. Uh, he is passion he is, project. Yeah. yeah, this is this is his. You know, he's Peter Jackson to this Lord of the Rings. You know, right. this is yeah. So all of this to say, we have gone into great detail about this movie, especially in terms of this of the but story. At the and same so, time, not enough. It's like the movie. Enough. Like yeah. you have to cut at some point, but there's so right. much more. And, and I would say, as as a theatrical experience, I, I'm just gonna ask Christian to <laughs> to. Hold back any thoughts he may have in terms of his theatrical experience, because for for myself and for Paul, in terms of seeing this movie on a movie theater screen with movie theater sound, it, it was truly an incredible and enveloping experience. Yeah. And we didn't, didn't have a chance to dive in, but the visuals, I would say, are are incredibly well conceived and and well produced in terms of what is real or what's practical, what's CG, evocative, and evocative like, like design. Yeah, yeah. Fraser does a very good job in capturing this and working with the you know the effects team, but also the sound design and. As I think an incredible accomplishment that we didn't get to go too much into, but the way that they do capture these different aspects, the sci-fi aspects, things like the voice or uh, the the sort of whispers, and you know, is this Paul hearing voices or is this something else, something more? The way that they incorporate all of that into the movie is incredibly well done. So if you have a great home theater setup at home, good for you. I would say if you can, if you are comfortable with going to a movie theater, this is absolutely a movie if you're interested to check it out in a theater. And I, it's definitely something that I can see myself seeing. Like if I, in, you know, ten years down the road when Dune Three is coming out, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Hey, we're we're doing Dune in Part One and Two in a theater again." Like I can see myself jumping back mm-hmm. in for yeah. this experience. Yeah. So that is our thoughts on Dune. Of course, wrapping up our Denis Villeneuve blend of the month. Uh, before we do announce what's coming next week, we do like to end these blends with a little reflection. And so, uh, in light of uh, some of the similarities between these movies, we're just going to cut it to something a lot smaller than we normally do. And I'll just ask for our thoughts on Best Picture of the Blend, and then just some f- reflections on Denis and his career as we've gotten to engage with it this month. So, the three options, of course, being Ansan D, his international breakthrough. Arrival, his Oscar-winning, or at least Oscar-nominated Triumph, and now Dune, his recent release, one that has been much hyped. So, Paul, I'll turn to you first as our guest. Of those three movies, uh, which one would you say gets your Best Picture award? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a Sophie's Choice. Like, I, Arrival was my favorite film of that year, and now I have to say, go away, be, be gone from me, you. Uh, Dune is my new baby, and uh, it's my favorite now. So, uh, yeah, that is a... Yeah, I, I, there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Christian, uh, what would you say was your best picture for this? Arrival. It, it, it's, it's definitely Arrival. Yeah, not yeah. even, not, 
No, it's not even close. It's rival. See, that's funny because all of these movies are extraordinary and exceptional in different ways to me. Yes. And so it was hard to choose because if you look at my Letterboxd reviews, you'll see how strongly I feel about these movies. Dune is still forthcoming, of course, but I, I did ultimately go with Arrival as well. So it, it's 2-1 Arrival in, in favor here. And I would say in terms of um, Denis' strengths as a director, it's one where he flexes quite a bit on sunday obviously is an incredible directorial flex as well but uh arrival getting him to see him work with a bigger budget getting to delve into these sci-fi concepts and working with amy adams i think mm. uh works very well and whereas i just i love the sheer spectacle of dune the world mm -hmm. of dune i think what arrival does a little bit better for me a lot better for christian <laughs> mm -hmm. and maybe maybe for you too paul but just the emotional core of that movie is so rich it's a movie that made me well up in tears that made me think about my place in the universe and so i think to that end it's the kind of movie that you want to return to and continue to think about recommend to others and so I'm with you, Christian, and that Arrival was my best picture as well. Uh, so we're at an interesting point here, thinking about Denis Villeneuve as a filmmaker, whereas it sounds safe to say for myself and Paul that we're pretty excited about whatever comes next. But Christian, you were on the up and up in that we saw Anthony for the first time, and you liked that movie. Arrival is obviously a favorite of yours. And then Dune is a major come down. And so as you think about his career, not just in the movies that you watched for the show, but the ones that you've seen in general and then where he may be going. Would you say you're excited about his future, or are you are you let down to the point with Dune that you're not so sure? I'm... Look, I will see part two, because it I, I would want to know what he does with it. I will see part three, sure, but I... The, the issue that... It is weird to me that it's an issue, because I praised him so much about this. He needs to choose things to adapt that have, I, I guess, better protagonists would be the thing i i'm not the biggest fan of paul as a protagonist i'm i he's an emo anxious boy and you know i i kind of love that thing a little bit but it's the common fantasy sci-fi trope but yes yes he is kind of a blank slate uh and the the beauty that i got in on sunday the beauty that i got in arrival with the main character was fascinating and the plot driven nature of those was fascinating and i think that because Dune is so introspective, that's why it didn't work for me. So I'm, depending on what he chooses to adapt next, I I, I want it to be, I don't know, a better plot. I, I want him, to, I want him to do better plots, is is the thing. Because I've liked everything else, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think uh, on that note, you know, it is a, we... In, in, in watching, you know, the first half of a story, we're also seeing the first half of a character arc um, where uh, we we don't know where he's going to come down. In fact, when we talk about the white savior, you know, sort of things, I think the movie engages with that. And I think that the second half is going to do something uh, that, um, you know, your avatars, uh, you know, <laughs> of the world and, uh, you know, the, the Pocahontas's and so forth, you know, those sorts of things are not going to do. Um, I, so I, I really, uh, I am so excited, uh, for Denis. I think that, uh, you know, even, again, even if we might disagree with like his, uh, plots that he chooses and things like that, man, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like you're throwing a, you're throwing like a, a knuckleball of a plot, you know, and he's just hitting it out of the park, like every single time. It's wild to me. Like he is a, he is an incredibly talented person. 
Um, he's also like got this bit of like outsider status that I think is incredibly value in the like valuable in the disnification of like the industry. Um, I don't know. I'm just so excited to watch him, uh, you know, continue to be. We talked about him in reference to or in comparison to Christopher Nolan on the first episode of this blend. Mm -hmm. And I think the two of them are sort of some of the last great hopes in terms of these non-Disney-fied superhero resistant directors. And even Nolan obviously very famously made a Batman trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And so even he's not fully, fully um, resistant to that, but Mm -hmm. he, Denis Villeneuve, I've sort of come to see is just in watching his movies and seeing how I feel about them is in a weird sort of way, I maybe not would not have described him as this before this blend, but now I can probably say he's one of my favorite working directors. Seeing the ways that I was blown away by Asandi and Dune, and that Arrival increased in my estimations in the last time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I I love so many of his movies, and and so Christian, I hear your disappointment, and I'm glad that we had you here because it made this conversation so much more interesting and engaging. Dude, I love it. I love um, it. But I I am really excited about the rest of not just the Dune franchise, but also to see what Denis continues to do. As he has, he's probably reached an apex in terms of bigger and better. I I don't know if, I'm sure Dune Part 2, he'll try to go even bigger, but uh, he is, he's, the whole arc of his career has been, for the most part, going bigger and bigger and bigger. So There's this really cool review, which is like that Denis Villeneuve knows too, that the most, that the best part about sci-fi movies is watching ships land and take off <laughs> so much landing and yeah, taking off and and the most important part is watching cool people walk towards ships and out of ships yes mm-hmm. yes yeah. this is key yeah. <laughs> it is a transport so it is a transport based movie so many great ships yeah. i mean they, they do a great sense of scale too in terms of the visuals Ooh, like the highlighter that is uh it looks like <laughs> a it looks like a worm and like you yes. see the ship you see the ships that were huge like in person and yeah. then they are like these itty bitty oh Specs. man oh man but yeah, um, I think I yeah that is a yeah what we're even talking about. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm just glad that we've opened the floodgates here to like talk about the movie because like we have been saving you know opinions for here. Um, and uh, also Christian, I do want to thank you because like you know going back to the bar analogy like you know some dudes just want like someone to like you know like come at one of their friends or whatever so they can get in a fight and like really like you know really show how much they care and that's what i am to do and i i really was looking forward to like showing my masculinity by uh <laughs> flexing in front of my my new uh, baby oh uh, so. man I, and now i'm thinking about our, our good friends keenan Collar, who appeared on the on sunday oh. episode and case and Collar. there are our brother friends from the hollywood week podcast who very much love this movie and we're wondering why christian wasn't messaging them back about it mm. because we have a little group <laughs> chat going so can't wait to see how that unfolds but that is it for our denis villeneuve blend of the month we would strongly encourage you to check out all these movies dune two of us would but the rest all come highly recommended by christian and myself and our friends we had on the show Christian, we have an interesting couple of weeks coming up next, so I will turn it to you to inform the listeners what's coming down the pipe. Much like uh, people in Hollywood, I've decided to sell out, and <laughs> next month is Marvel Month. Marvel Month! But let's get this Let's get this um, out of the way. It's 2021 in Marvel, and so we will be doing Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and Eternals. And then we have a special Marvel wrap-up episode, kind of in preparation for No Way Home. That we are going to keep under wraps. Uh, it will 
look forward to look forward to all three episodes because it i mean i'm assuming a lot of people have have seen those movies this year that being said our final episode we are going to do something special for it and it's going to come out either thanksgiving or black friday so. and it's going to be very fun so it's do... really long <laughs> yes it will but in in light of that we and a lot of artists our calendar and our schedule want to make things line up we will actually be on a break next week so, aw, sad face. No new Cinema Drip episode coming next week. We all need to, to rest after Dune. Paul and I need to come down from this high, and Christian needs to restore his strength after, uh, unfortunately, not only seeing it with us and getting angry, but having to go see it with other friends uh, after we finish recording here. <laughs> just so, imagining him, like, sitting in the theater, like, and just yeah! stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is like, yeah! You're like the guy on the roller coaster who's like, mm. yeah. This, okay, I, I'll, I'll, I, I was very contained this episode. I'll say one thing that I don't even care about. When people were like clapping at the end of Dune, I was so upset. I was like, no, stop that, stop, stop that, stop having fun. Stop having fun. You did have somewhere to go after we saw it together, but I'm sure you still would have gotten out of that theater asap regardless. I would have if I didn't have somewhere to go. I would have sat with you guys. I would have talked. Like you would have told us why we were wrong. That's fine. That's okay. I would have kept my opinions to myself until we recorded because right. uh, even on Letterbox, it just said that I watched this movie. It didn't. I gave no star rankings because. Scott keeps love to snipe the rankings. Love to love to get a little cheat in terms of how you're feeling about a movie. But that is it for our Denisville New Blood of the Month. Our plans for November. We're looking forward to it and definitely hope that you are as well. If you want to get a jump on it, Black Widow is already on Disney Plus. So do check it out if you are a subscriber. Speaking of the Disneyfication of it all, we're playing into their hands. <laughs> Sorry, cool. Paul. Love it. <laughs> But as always, if you've reached this point in the episode, we do thank you so much for listening. Um, obviously, there are a few things that you can do to support the show that we would appreciate. Number one, please give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners there. And of course, we love to read our reviews on the show. Uh, I want to shout out my friend Ben Zeiser, who's been listening along to the episodes and threw out a, an idea for a, su a suggestion for us, Christian. He didn't leave his review, but he did text me and said that we should consider a video game blend of the month. With Ooh. the Uncharted trailer dropping recently, we were we were texting about that. Any chance you saw that trailer, Christian? I did. Before the movie that I, we saw? I, yeah, yeah. No, I, oh, I, I, that's, that's it. right. I, I stepped out to buy popcorn, so I missed I that one. <laughs> it looked like a, a different take on Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say different Indiana Jones, because they're they're looking for treasure, treasure and all that. But, but he's jumping out of a plane. Jumping out of planes, this is true. Uh, but either way, maybe we could consider Ben's video game blend of the month come February, when we can check out Uncharted. So thanks for the suggestion, Ben. Do appreciate it. Of course, if you have suggestions for us, please feel free to... Uh, reach out to us personally, I guess, or send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com, where we are regularly re uh, reading those emails and checking out your thoughts. And uh, as always, I'd like to mention that we have incorporated listener feedback on the show from Magic May, which was a suggestion from Paul Gonzalez, uh, being one example, and he even got to appear on there and do some awards with us. So... We would ask that you please send us your feedback. We'd love to make episodes that you would actually like to listen to. Uh, you can also follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. Paul, you were on Letterboxd, but not a very frequent user, if I am correct. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> Paul, of course, is there any, anything that you would like to plug at this point? You uh, are of the Author's Dozen podcast, of which yes. has been on a break for some time. Yes, yes. But anything else you would like to plug to the listeners? So, yeah, um, you know, uh, obviously tune into that. Um, you know, Author's Dozen on all platforms. You can also email me at uh, authorsdozen at gmail.com. Uh, 
um, because uh, we have a new book uh, that uh, I believe uh, Christian read um, called Run Prometheus. Um, it is just about wrapped up with a, uh, you know, a first draft revision. And so if you're interested in reading and you want to let me know what you think, um, and you actually, uh, have good opinions, then, uh, you know, reach out. I'd love to get you a free book. If you have bad opinions, stay away. <laughs> yeah. This is exciting. As, as I got to, we, Christian and I both were able to jump on episodes of Author Dozen, and I talked about a book called Hollow. Christian talked about Run Prometheus, but I did also, we listened to Run Prometheus, me and my wife Maddie. And so mm. this is exciting. I'm looking forward to reading the first revision. Yep. Yep, there is an audiobook version, uh, and uh, yeah, Christian liked it better than Dune. <laughs> <laughs> claim fame, Paul. Claim fame. Yep. Of right. course, thank you all for listening. Uh, thanks, Paul, for being here. Do check out his work at the Author's Dozen podcast, and check out his free books that he has online. Officially better than Dune. Officially better than Dune, according to Christian Abias. Until next time, make sure you book your your flights to Arrakis. I've heard it's beautiful this time of year. And this I've heard has it's been... the same as every other time of year. <laughs> yeah, probably. But until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.